to the Habs Puck Drop Podcast. This is our pre-series uh, podcast for the Winnipeg Jets Game 1 tomorrow night. Um, so we're going to do something pretty similar to what we did with the Leafs, which uh, seemed to be pretty accurate. So we, we went through the analysis again, or uh, you know, Jesse did most of the footwork here. We're going to do most of the uh, analysis together. Um, but yeah, let's jump in. Before we do, though, we just wanted to do uh, you know a quick, less emotional um you know, recap of the Leafs series, more about, uh, we're going to answer basically three questions. So first we're going to do, uh, you know, what do you think the turning point was the ser- of the series, uh, whether it be a game or a play or, uh, you know, a certain player. And then two, who surprised you the most? So like not who was the MVP, because I think most people, you know, nine out of 10 would say Carey Price, but, uh, you know, who surprised you? Like, who were you not expecting, um, you know, to perform as well as they did? And then lastly, who disappointed you the most? So let's jump into those three questions first. You'll take number one. Um, what was the turning point? Oof, I'm going to have to say, um, I mean, this is not terribly obvious, but it's it's got to be the overtime win that brought the series to 3-2. to two. Um, You know, Suzuki, Caulfield, the 2-on-0, that just kind of seemed to be the first of many deflating moments for the Leafs. I think... Not only was that, you know, kind of a gut punch to Toronto, but I definitely think that, uh, one, it got the fans hyped up, and it also inspired the guys in the locker room to be like, you know what, this was 3-1, now it's 3-2, let's go get another one, let's go, mm-hmm. and that that seemed to be the, the vibe, you know, that we were talking about, and also that everyone was talking about, and the guys in the locker room were talking about, just like, take it one game at a time, yeah. like, keep, you know, and it gave them a big scare, the Leafs, that was the first instance in my head where they go, maybe we can't close this out because mm-hmm. they were coming off a four nothing loss, yeah, or win for Toronto, I yeah. guess. That's where my head's at. <laughs> but and then again, they just they couldn't get over the hump. Yeah. So how about you? Yeah, I think for me, I'm gonna kind of take this question a bit of a different way. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna look at the turning point as in like people started to think, oh crap, maybe you know the Leafs aren't just gonna crush them. So I'm going to go with the Paul Byron play in game one. I think like that was basically the first seed of doubt in the, in the series where, you know, um, taking that two, one lead in a game where, you know, it, it wasn't, um, you know, unorthodox with what happened with Tavares and stuff like that. But I don't think, you know, many people had us winning the series, never mind, uh, had us winning that game, never mind the series. But, um, you know, just that, that effort play from a vet that just, uh, you know, you, you, what we got from Paul Byron in this series was just, you know, pure heart and like a goal from a guy like that's much like with Gallagher in game seven there where, yeah, a goal is a goal, but when you get it from those kind of guys, it just lights something under the team. And I think that, uh, you know, basically just catalyzed the whole series. And look, you don't win game one, you know, we'd be, we'd be out. Well, there so. you go. Um, so the second question yeah, was so the, who surprised, who surprised the you the most? Yeah, and I'm going to take this obviously as who pleasantly surprised yeah. me the most because the next question being disappointment. Yeah. So I, you know, I was torn between two thinking about this, but it it, it really comes down to the fact that um, Eric Stahl, being our assist leader, which we're going to get into there, but he was the assist leader for that series for the Canadians. Um, he not only played well and put points on the board, but it was his off the board you know, score system that I was keeping track of. He was gritty. He was winning face-offs. 
He was a physical force, yeah. and he also just was a massive leadership yeah, so uh, component. I, he held an all-players meeting, I believe, yeah. after... Game five, going into game Yeah, five. which was the turnaround point yeah. that I was talking about. So he just, he basically made the trade for a third and a fifth worth it on that one series. Yeah. Because um, now all of a sudden, you know, you have a guy who's leading you kind of into the fray a little bit. And it's he, you know what, again, very similar to a lot of guys on this team. The regular season just doesn't matter anymore. It's what you're doing now and what he's doing now I love. Yeah, I get a lot of, you know, Carey Price vibes from him. Like, I I just, you know, with Price especially, you see, like, the, the regular season just doesn't do it for them. Like, they need that high-intensity hockey. And, like, you know, Eric Stahl and Carey Price aren't, you know, Corey Perry too. You know, they're not in the league right now to, like, you know, uh, you know win the regular season. Yeah, have their they, stats. Yeah, they don't really care. They've secured a legacy. They just want to play the big games. And I think that's why... Uh, you know, we uh, acquired Stahl in the first place. I'm just happy that, um, you know, management was a little wiser than us, uh, especially um, just because we were unsure if he should even play in the playoffs. Where like, um, I'm happy they doubled down on him and, and we're like, you know what, this is what he's here for, uh, and and you know, he's he's been phenomenal. So no, I agree with that. Mine, uh, you know, I'm gonna go. Stahl was definitely up there for me, but I'm gonna have to go with Armia, like Armia. Okay. Um, you know, just so many, obviously, two-goal night that night. That was huge. But other than that, you know, he just such an all-around player for us. He just, he holds the puck so well and so patiently. Like, last night on that penalty kill, he absolutely chewed away, like, 30 seconds of the clock, just pinching it against the boards and carrying it into the corner. And just the intensity the guy plays with in the, in the playoffs, it's just, it's insane. Like, this guy is not, he's not dispensable. Like, we need to keep this guy. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's, he leads our death, honestly. Him and, him and Perry, I mean, like, where would we be without those guys? Yeah, and I just want to say, honorable mention, this was the other one I was stuck between, Yasperi uh, Kotkaniemi coming in after being Surprised benched the first yeah. game, being the goal leader in the series for the Canadians, just played a lot better than he had played in the whole season. Wait, how many goals did Kotkaniemi have? He had three goals in six games. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was our goal leader. I thought he had two. Yeah, no, he had three. He had... Uh, opening night. Opening night, and then he scored that wraparound one. And oh, yeah, then the OT. The OT wow. winner. So, yeah, putting up, you know, three goals in six games after being yeah. literally healthy scratch the first wow. one. It just shows he's a playoff competitor. So I was torn between him and Stahl. Yeah. I just think the standard deviation jump for Stahl... And the significance he played on the ice just was a little bit more. Yeah, I'm. Ac- I was actually torn between, uh, besides Stahl, I was torn between Army and Byron. I find yeah. Byron, you know, again, like, you know, he's that role player on on the on the uh, you know on the depth lines, but he just how many penalty kills that guy killed for us. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, at plus a shorthanded goal to win game one. I mean, you know, he does so much for this team. It's uh, I'm happy we have him in the playoffs, but you yeah, know, tons of guys surprised me, and then. You know, going into into question three, who disappointed you? You know, I think we're probably gonna have a similar. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna try here, and have different. Go ahead. I'm gonna try and have different answers for this one, just for discussion purposes. So you you go first. I go first. Yeah, so I'm just gonna you know I'll call uh, you know I'll point to the elephant in the room here. I think Josh Anderson. You know, of all the players, I think that you know disappointed me early on in the series he was the only one that didn't rally i mean like you know gallagher was disappointing me game one two three and then he just you know slowly picked his game up and then you know scored game seven 
And, you know, game five, you know, five, six, seven, you started to see Gallagher again, like slowly, you know, not maybe not so much five, but six and seven, you know, he's going back to front of the net, he's taking shots, he's skating up the side of the ice, uh, along the boards there, uh, where he like always just misses that pinch from the defenseman, you know, where he just squeaks by. Yeah. That's how you know Gallagher's back. But early on in the series, it, it just didn't look like him. Same thing with Toffoli early on. I was like, God damn it, Toffoli, pump your fucking legs. But yeah. he, like, he wasn't moving. Come game six, game seven, you know, he's pumping his legs again. And look, he's scoring. But Josh Anderson, you know, it was the inverse. You know, game one, he looked fantastic. And then game two, he like literally fell off a cliff. And like, there was no, he didn't rally back. Like we didn't see anything from him, including last night. Last night might've been his worst game. Yeah. You know, like last night he missed two open nets, uh, you know, wide open nets. Like not even like, oh, he missed the play. Like he literally just had to put the puck in the net. Um, and the, 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 the frustrating part about those plays too, is that he didn't generate them. Like he was past the yeah, puck. It just, you know? it just shoveled to him. And it wasn't just, like he created a chance that opened yeah. the net. It's just like he was given the puck to put in the net and he just couldn't do it. And then, you know, last night, like, you know, I'm going to double check and like, yeah, he hit a few guys, but like, I don't think his hitting was particularly, no, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't effective, even if it was, yeah, like, know, they weren't leading to, they like, were, if they, yeah. there was quantity, there wasn't quality. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll let you jump in, but Anderson's by far my, yeah. my, oh, it hits here. Anderson. Probably two. Yeah. Anderson had two hits. Yeah. Okay. So, and just putting that perspective, like Weber had five, four, Armia had six, Kotkaniemi had four, Toffoli had three. Like, it's just like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, I, if you're not going to do what those guys do, like, you've got to do, uh, got to use your body a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, I, I think anyone who listened to the past few podcasts would know that I agree Anderson was the most disappointing. But I, you know what, I think just for the sake of just some new, um, I guess, content, I'm not even going to go with the second with Jeff Petrie. I do want to talk about Thomas Tatar a little because, you know, he got scratched for, what was it, the, the last uh, two games, the last three? When was he scratched? Last two. Okay, so, you know, I it's, I again, this comes down to kind of the same thing between Petrie and uh, Tatar was the same, same thing as uh, Stahl and Kotkaniemi. I think the degree of of how disappointed I was in Tatar you know what, I, I, I should change that. The degree I was disappointed in Tatar was less than of Jeff Petrie, so I'm, I'm going to switch it to Jeff Petrie. Yeah, plus there's the, with Tatar, there's like the, there, there's an injury involved now, so it's a but little I bit I thought different. he was a healthy scratch. Yeah. So I'm going, I'm going, just going to go with my initial, you know, gut instinct. So yeah, the, the score news now is saying Tatar was scratched due to an injury. Okay. So, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't having the playoff of his life. No. But... It, yeah. That's the thing. I was expecting more from him given his history with the he team. He did have points, at least. Yeah. He had points. G- so. that's right. Given the history of the team, it was disappointing. Yeah. But I'd it still say it was, if it's not going to be Anderson, I, I'm going to talk about Jeff Petrie. He was a defensive liability for the better part yeah. of the series. He definitely tightened up. But there were even points in Game 7 where you and I were watching him in front of the net and he couldn't move people. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't Zach Hyman. It wasn't Wayne Simmons. It was like... Nylander in Friday night. I didn't know he was under 200 pounds. I thought he was over. Is he under? He's 195. Well, there you go. Yeah. This is a six foot three, and he's 195. You gotta, Jeff. You gotta get off the Pilates. <laughs> I, I see on Instagram, you know, the 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 Pilates. Uh, you know, that's not what an NHL defenseman should be doing here. No. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't even want to go deep into Jeff Petrie just because we we've, we've dissected him so much over it. But I think just the general 
highlights of the fact that he wasn't producing off offensively yeah. and he wasn't securing it defensively yeah, and if, he's an offensive defenseman. Yeah, if he's not producing offensively, like there's uh not much upside to him. Well that's it. At least and, and you know what he was also if those who can recall our kind of series analysis going into Toronto, he was someone who during the regular season we leaned on heavily. He was our point leader against mm-hmm. Toronto. Um that might be actually a good segue into the, uh, I guess we can call it the analytics. Yeah. But, um, you know, I want to start with actually the just overall, like, looking at everything as a whole. So, basically, we've done it again for the listeners that we have kind of the regular season, the season series, and both teams' um, first-round stats in terms of basically 10 major categories. So... Um, let's just take this one by one here. So the Canadians finished with a record of 24, 21, and 11, um, in the regular season against Winnipeg, they went three, three, and three. So, you know, three wins out of, you know, nine games. That's actually Not not great, but that's a better record than we had against Toronto. Yeah. We had seven losses to Toronto. So, although I think we played one more game against Toronto, which is important to note. Uh, the Canes have a season average of 2.82 goals per game, which is actually up by about 10% out of 3.11 goals per game against Winnipeg. They score a lot of goals against the Jets, and we're going to see that when we kind of look yeah. at the goaltending. It, yeah, it's important to note here, even just before we get into goaltending, that Hellebuck didn't play all those games. No, he played every single one. I could have swore. But I, when I was doing yeah. the I think, yeah, he played all nine games against the Canadians. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, either way, I mean, he's uh, on another level right now. Yeah. Well, so. that, that's it. It's it's gonna come with a disclaimer after, but um, yeah, our goals against this is the thing I wanted to mention too on the season. It's a two point nine five. However, against the Jets, our goals against a three point four four. So we give yeah. up a lot of goals against the Jets in comparison. It's surprising. It it is, but it's I I don't know. It's you know I think the games just overall were higher scoring. So basically. Um, look for the Canadians to be scoring more, but be wary of the five-on-five goals. And I say five-on-five because the Canadians' power play percentage against the Jets this season was 27.78%, which is up 8.5% from their 19.2 on the regular season. But it was the penalty kill was down from 78.5 to 73. So that's about a drop of 5.5%. Now, just looking at the the players really quick, our goal leader against the Jets was Toffoli, similar to him being our season leader. Toffoli scored six goals against the Jets in nine games. Wow. Our assist leader was Tatar. Tatar had six assists in nine games. And Toffoli being our point leader, he was a point per game, nine points in nine games. Yeah, it's... uh, Carey Price was a 9.01 save percentage against the Jets, and that's our goaltending uh, leader against the Jets. Yeah, he that's, that's what I was games. just checking. Is Allen played half those games, and Allen had under nine hundred. But keep in mind, the goalie analytics for Price and Hellebuck are going to be very similar in this. I mean, Hellebuck killed us in the regular season, but I'm just saying, like Hellebuck is also a playoff performer. Price is a playoff performer. Uh, Price's stats in the regular season look nothing like his his postseason yeah. stats. I, so. I think it is going to be interesting though when you hear these numbers. So, so Price at a nine hundred one and a three GAA. Um, against Winnipeg, uh, you know, that's obviously lower. His his GAA actually was, I believe, a 901 on the season, 
but his save percentage, uh, yeah. save percentage, excuse me, but his GAA for the season was a 2.64. So yes, there's an increase. I'll skip ahead of um, Winnipeg's team stats for a second. I do want to compare the goalies. Connor Hellebuck's season stats was a 916, but against the Canadians, he was a 909. He had a rough time against the Habs comparatively um, during the regular season. And his same thing for a save percentage it, uh, compared to his goals against average. His goals against average was a, basically the same. It was a 2.58 to a 2.56 difference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to have almost 10% difference in your save percentage, the Habs have figured him out to a certain degree during the regular season compared to other teams. I'm looking at it too. There's quite a few games in our schedule where he played back-to-back. Oh, almost all of our games were back-to-back and we split them every single time. Yeah. That's... No, I mean like we they played the night before playing us. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, understand. I just saw three there. Three out of the nine at yeah. least where they play. So I'm just saying that could factor. No, definitely. The, I just mean looking at the overall yeah. numbers, it's it's just interesting to see that Carey Price's save percentage for the season was 901. Mm-hmm. And against Winnipeg, it was a 901. Yeah. Hellbuck was a 916, but against the Habs, he was a 909. Yeah. Our goals went up. Our power play went up. Our penalty kill went down. So you can kind of see that these are more sh- like shootouts rather yeah. than uh, goaltending battles, which... You would think just by looking at the names. Yeah, well, that be won't be yet. And exactly, that won't be true in the playoffs. Exactly. In the playoffs, this series is going to be a goaltending It's going to be a very low-scoring event. Now, looking at uh, the same idea for Winnipeg, we've got an increase in goals for against the Canadians with a decrease in goals against, obviously, because the Habs yeah. were vice versa. There's also that brutal shutout that they did. They, yeah, maybe it's five they just find nothing, yeah. Um, their power play increased as well. And their penalty kill decreased as well. So both of us, like I said, yeah. very poor defensively against each other, 5-on-5 five five and special teams as a whole. So it's it's interesting to note. Now, obviously, um, I'm not going to go into all the numbers given the playoffs, but just because you know it's very hard to compare playoff performance to a different team to the regular season. Yeah, but especially it is worth... since they swept. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. So the Canadians... Um, Goals for is down. Goals against is down because Price is playing on his head. Mm-hmm. Our penalty kill is way up, and our power play was down. Yeah. That's just the general kind of movement. Winnipeg across the board, everything went in their favor. Obviously, they swept. Mm-hmm. So goals for was up. Goals against was down. Power play was way up. And penalty kill was relatively in the ballpark of their regular season. So now just looking at the totals for a second, like I said, Kotkaniemi... Leading goal scorer against Toronto. Stahl leading in assists to Foley, uh, 11 points. Price was a 929 with a 2.29 against Toronto, which is, you know, fantastic. Um, now, there's you can see here, there's uh, quite a bit of names I have over here. So, the goal leaders for um, Winnipeg. There's a four-way tie between Connor, Ehlers, Shifley, and Wheeler. They all have two goals. So they're all performing. I mean, there's four games. You know, that also means they're sharing the puck. Uh, Same thing goes for the assists. Morrissey, Pionk, Shifley, and Wheeler. Three points each. And for those of you who did the quick math, Shifley and Wheeler both have five points in four games as the two point leaders. Now we get to the the juggernaut of the team. (laughs) Uh, With a 2.0 goals against average. I can't stand typing this guy's name out. No, I know. It's like Heli Bioke. Yeah. 
Um, and a 9.53 save percentage yeah. over four games. Against Connor McDavid and Liam Dreisaitl. Yeah. Connor hella bike. Um, you know who scares me out of the, on that team the most, though, is Mark Shifley. That guy's yeah. just a workhorse, and I, you know, I'm, I'm permanently uh, thinking of that, I think it was two years ago, that playoff run where he had like 18 goals yeah, or something. where he like just that. went off. He's a, he's a guy who shows up for the playoffs. Um, so that's just kind of the overlook. Now, I, I did it again here where I have the significant scores on each team. So, um, you know, I, I want to highlight these players. So we'll just start with the first column here of significant players uh, from the regular season to the Winnipeg series. Not the playoff series for those listening, but the season series against Winnipeg. So for those who don't remember, I have significant goals, assists, and points. And what this is, is by significant, I mean an increase of their stats compared to the general season. So if they scored at a rate higher against Winnipeg, they'll score high. Um, Players that, you know, scored basically green across the board would be Dano, Gallagher, Kotkaniemi to and uh, to Foley. So those are the three I want to talk about first. These are all key pieces. You know, we relied on Deno to shut down yeah. um, Matthews and Marner, and now it even seems like he's got some offense that he can find if you know he tracks the same yeah. way. Uh, Gallagher, I I believe wholeheartedly, he's now kind of like popped that pimple, yeah. and it's like the floodgates are open. Same thing goes for Kotkaniemi. He's clearly a playoff performer. Oh, and I'm sorry, I missed one here. Toffoli as well. Oh, yeah, you said Toffoli. Did yeah. I say Toffoli? Yeah. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, then, yeah, I said three instead of four. Uh, those four guys were all playing above their season averages, and so, you know, I would look to them very differently than what I said, you know, against Toronto. I said don't look to Toffoli to be a factor, mm. and, real like, you know, he's our point leader, yeah. but... At the same time, he he very he, struggle, he very yeah. sneakily was our point leader. Yeah. It wasn't a commanding point mm-hmm. leader. Um, yeah, before we look at that, I want to look now at Winnipeg. <laughs> See a lot of green. Yeah. Um, basically, Ehlers, Connor, Dubois, Morrissey, Statsny, Perot, and Forbert all you know produced above average offensively across the board against Montreal. How many games did? Dubois play against us though. Dubois, I don't, I don't remember this. This takes into account though games. It's like his, uh, mm-hmm. it's the games he played. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, the big, big, big contributor, as in biggest jump, is Statsny. He just scores a lot of goals against Montreal, mm-hmm. and just comparatively for, um, you know, Montreal. Not that he's across the board green, but Armia scores a ton of goals against yeah. Winnipeg. So, you know, the, these are just things to kind of like be aware of as a fan going through. Now, the other side of it here is I want to see who played well the regular season versus the first uh, round of the playoffs just to see kind of who's hot. Um, Byron and Armia both producing, especially Armia, at huge jumps compared to their season stats. Um, Perry as well, and Suzuki. So, you know, Kotkaniemi, obviously, massive right here. I mean, everyone listening doesn't see all the numbers, but Kotkaniemi's scoring, obviously, at about a 30% increase. But when I say across the board, I mean goals, assists, and points. So Suzuki's up 
close to uh, 8% in goals. Armia, though, all double digits across the board. It just it looks like Armia is going to be someone the Canadians can lean on. because yeah, I It see... looks like our depth players are going to be relied on. That's again, it. So. And very similarly for um, Winnipeg, which is interesting, they don't have as many dominant players because they haven't played as many games, obviously, but they're also getting scoring from everywhere. You know, yeah. you don't see many big jumps. Which there. actually is a problem for us. That's the thing. But the person with the biggest um, difference is actually Josh Morrissey. Mm-hmm. So none of their forwards are particularly excelling. They're all just playing well, which is something that worries me. Yeah, I mean, they, they all have two goals in four games. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's yeah, I, I'm, you know, going into the more subjective part of this, um... The things I'm I'm interested to see how Ducharme handles is is that spread of wealth. Like, you know, I I don't it's Winnipeg's the opposite. It's wrong. Yeah, Winnipeg's not you know particularly a deep team. Like, I'm I'm not worried about like Nate Thompson and Adam Lowry. Like, you know, I, I although Nate Thompson's line there did you know c- you know cause a, a few headaches for us in the regular season. But like, there, there's no way Nate Thompson's just going to go off on a spree and start no. you know like you know netting them on Carey Price. But again, like having two lines that you know. Is gonna is gonna produce is is tough and also you know having guys like uh, Pierre Dubois who are you know Matthew's size but also gritty like that's that's worrying me too is like you know getting Wheeler out in front of the net like getting you know Shifley's not gonna take you know Sherratt's punches after the whistle uh, and just like smile at the camera like Matthews does like these guys are you know like they're physical forces and um, very different game and, and you know Deno. Um, is going to have a very different role because, yeah, the, obviously that Connor Shifley Wheeler line, like that's the line, like that's their big line. But and Deno's definitely going to be paired against them. But you know, Ehlers, uh, Ehlers and Statsny, you know, and you just said Statsny plays well against us. You know, that's a very good line too. So it's not as, um, you know, fo- like it's not as focal as, as the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like yeah, you had Willie Nealander in the second line, but you know, no one was really worried about Foligno and, and Kerfoot. I mean, yeah. like. Well, that's the thing is this is going to be a good Work out test. And Foligno, it's going to be a very good test for them. It's going to definitely uh, push their adaptability because this is really a different team. Yeah. Um, I do think though, this is a lot. Um, I don't want to say a better matchup, but this is a lot more of a uh, beneficial matchup in the sense that Winnipeg's size is up front. Not yeah. on their defense. Oh, yeah, they're very small. Dude. And our, we're the complete other side. We are big, you know, on the decor, but our forwards aren't big, so at least matchup-wise. We'll forecheck very hard. We'll forecheck, yeah. and the defenseman will then basically at least be going up against, you know, obviously, you know, you get the massive ones like Lowry and Wheeler, who are both 6'5 and everything, but, you know, it, it'd be very worrisome to have, you know, um, let's say, like, um, I'm trying to think, like a Sandin and Dermot combo going up against the Dubois line. This is this is one thing where we can at least say, like, okay, this defense is built for a team with big forwards. Yeah. So, at the very least, there's that kind of reassurance. I, I personally feel uh, quite confident, especially after that series and, like, what we showed we can do, you know, basically on our heels for four straight games. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... You know, you, you basically said it. I mean, having those big forwards, it's you know, it's definitely going to be a challenge defensively, and I, I think this is probably a good time to throw Romanov in the mix. I mean, um, again, like, 
They got tons of guys that can score. Like, I'm definitely not taking that away from them, but they don't have an Austin Matthews where, like, you know, he touches the puck and there's, like, already a 30% chance this puck's going top shelf. They don't really have that kind of guy. You know, they're, you know, Shifley's got a wicked shot. Connor, obviously, is a purest sniper as they come. But again, like, Connor doesn't have that, like, that absolute killer instinct where, like, as soon as he touches the puck, you kind of shit yourself, you know? So, like, I, I'm not as worried about that. So it's, one, it's going to make it for a, a bit more of a pleasurable watching experience. Yeah. Because <laughs> like when uh, you know, even though the Leafs' power play was struggling coming into the series, like you never want to see that power play out there. I mean, like yeah. seeing Marner, Matthews, Nylander, you know, Riley, like it's just insane to see that. But yeah. uh, I'm a, I, I think throwing Romanov in there is is probably better because of that. Like they, there's not as there's not that offensive threat constantly. That's it. And um, there, there, there's also, I mean, this doesn't exactly translate, but every time we've inserted one of our young guys into the lineup, we've seen some kind of success. There hasn't yeah. been a drawback yet. When Caulfield came in, when Kotkaniemi came in, you know, I, I think they're they're kind of, like you said, a couple of games ago, just diffusing them in slowly. I think... Again, though, with Romanov, there's a much bigger risk. Yes, right, there, there is. But maybe not, though, because I, I think what they're going to start doing now is it's basically going to be four defensemen. And, you know, Gustafsson and Romanov, if they play Romanov, or Gustafsson and Kulak, if they play Kulak, um, you know, those guys are realistically getting 10 minutes a game. Well, that, that's what I was going to say is I think with how well Gustafsson showed he can play um, against Toronto, I was really impressed Me with too. him. Very impressed. It wasn't even the physicality or anything, but it was just... He's responsible in his own zone more than I thought he was. He broke up a lot of plays with his stick, which I like. I was really important to see that that it's not just people getting punched in the back of the head. Yeah, he was actually skating and poking the puck away. Um, it's also his his passing. Like, well, that's it. They he, were just he crisp. Passed, he passed the puck and it wasn't like fluttering. No, wait, that's exactly it. It was basically just he really knows what he's doing. In terms of like when he's moving his feet with and without the puck, that's something Romanov can benefit from. Yeah. And again, like you said, if they're if they're playing like basically negligible minutes, yeah, it's it's really not the He'd end. He'd basically of the world. be out there against Nate Thompson and maybe sometimes Adam Lowry. The only thing I I am a little bit worried about is with that last change in Winnipeg. Like maybe you introduce Romanov game three. Uh, granted, you know, like maybe introduce some game three when we're back at home, and like you know, worst case, uh, you know, Romanov Gustafson isn't going to you know be as as well as Gustafson's playing defensively, and you know, like we said, we're impressed with it. He's definitely not a stronger one of our defensemen, a defenseman. But I don't want to be caught with Romanov Gustafson out there, and then all of a sudden they get the last change and, and they throw on Shifley, Connor, and, and Wheeler. Well, that, that's it. Yeah, it's you would have to basically always have them switching on the fly if you want it to work. So that is a good point. Maybe in game three, the other one thing though is I I do really believe Montreal can uh, like surprise some people again this series. I would be more confident. You know, we made our prediction for the Toronto one. We said Habs in seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and we nailed it. Yeah. I I have a prediction in my head that like be you know same style how I came to the decision everything, um. But I want to know if you have one in your head or not. Yeah, I I've got a I've got a gut feeling in my in my head. Uh, it involves the Habs winning. Um, do you want to go first or me or? No, go first. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm gonna say Habs in six. I think, um, you know if I'm I I. I'll break it down game by game. I, I before before you do, that's exactly what that's I'm exactly going to say. Yeah, cool. exactly. But I, like, just I, for those listening, like we really don't 
tell each other no, before no. and everything. I, I don't think there's a chance we win tomorrow. Like, I, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I I see this rested Winnipeg. I was watching their, their, their skating this morning, and, like, they just seem like they're literally, like, a, like a well, pack of geese and just, like, you know, just up and down the ice. Yeah. And, you know, as much as, you know, we're riding a high from Toronto, like, our guys are really beat up. Like, they're, they're bruised, they're battered, um, you know, their legs are, 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 are dead, you know, right from the, right off of game seven, they're back on a plane. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just not set up for us to win. The only time, the only re the only reason we could win tomorrow is if like Carey Price Carey just Price. does something absolutely ridiculous and like either shuts them out or let, allows like one or two goals and we can get in like three. But, uh, I, I definitely don't think one, it's going to be a very high Canadian shot attempt game tomorrow. And uh, I, I definitely think it's been mostly in our zone. Going forward, though, then I think, you know, we win the next one in Winnipeg. Then, you know, we lose one at home, and then we take the rest. I okay, that's, that's Yeah, I, I think that it's likely we lose tomorrow. Um, okay. I'm not obviously counting them out, and I don't think you are either. But the way I can see it is if they lose the first game, I can see them winning the next in Winnipeg and both home games going up 3-1. Yeah, with the fans, too. Yeah, losing the next in Winnipeg, 3-2, coming back to Montreal and winning in six. I just... I, I would be so confident to say if the Habs can sneak the first game, they might win in five. Yeah. Like, they, they just... They look like a playoff team. So does Winnipeg, but not in the same sense of... They didn't get built, like, re, almost, like, rebuilt this off season. Winnipeg yeah. kind of is still the same team that has... You know how Toronto hasn't been able to get out of the first round. Winnipeg has the same core basically. They've lost some pieces. They've just anything. lost big pieces. That's and basically. they can't get out of the second round. And they've played, you know, other teams that are I, I would say lesser than the Canadians. Yeah, I think lost. I think Edmonton like you know really facilitated that process. I mean, um, you know, Edmonton's got a lot of issues, and like I'm not going to get into it here, yeah. but they you know they've got you know really foundational issues that you know just come alive in the, in the playoffs and uh you know you build a team around two guys i mean like it's it's quite easy to lock down two players as skilled as they are i mean you know i i'd be very confident of sweeping edmonton like very very confident confident because like if philip deno can do that with an entire line like i'm sure he can do that with Connor mcdavid yeah he'll get burnt once or twice but then you also have carry price in net well that's and, uh, you know i I just I don't think they they had like real adversity with that team. I mean, like I, I was watching, you know, I wa like I said, I watched like the replays of the highlights of every game this morning, and um, you know, all these shots from Edmonton were just from the outside, uh, just very very weak. A, a lot like they looked a lot like how um, we were shooting on Campbell in game one, two, three, mm -hmm. four. That's under five. <laughs> that, right. that's, that's understandable oh I, I did just want to say um you know it completely crept up on this but tomorrow is the uh lottery for the draft yeah. oh yeah so we'll add it's that into the pregame as well because i'm gonna say it 24 hours beforehand seattle's getting the first overall pick yeah. i guarantee it it's it's going it's one of the well i mean 2020 and 2021 have already been weird enough that's going to just icing on mm -hmm. the cake. You know, it's, it's going to be, we're going to have the new team coming in. They're going to draft first overall. And I'll go even further to say, then when people analyze the draft in five years, they're going to, they're going to blow it. Yeah. And I also, you know, that's going to, that's going to throw a wrench in a lot of, 
people's plans just because you know all of a sudden those those trades with other clubs about you know drafting higher uh, aren't taking place yeah. if they get the first pick right? yeah that's so. the end but the new rule changes seattle's guaranteed a top three pick yeah so this, but i could yeah. see with like this how this draft is with how you know we're gonna look back volatile, at these and yeah. it's volatile these picks are all over the place the scouting's been all over the place but you know when you when you get a third overall pick and um you know whoever gets first, you know, wants a, you know, a big trade to keep a guy alive or, you know, more likely second overall, uh, you know, all of a sudden those big trades don't happen. And, um, that would be huge for Seattle because basically they have, uh, they basically have the league in a stranglehold. Well, that's it. And if I'm, if I'm Seattle and I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the pregame, so I won't get too far into it, but just based on the draft classes and, uh, certainty levels, um, any trade, that they that I'm making with a team, it's coming from draft picks for not this year, but next year and the year after. Mm-hmm. Those are the two drafts where yeah, like this one the superstars yeah. are. This, this one is... you can like realistically the top five is basically set. I mean, I, you know, that's kind of every every year. Those mm-hmm. are those are pretty safe, but you know, six plus six to you know 30. high twenties, <laughs> thirty even. You know, we're gonna see a lot of David Pasternak's this year yeah. if he's there. Just because uh, a lot of risers and a lot of fallers for sure. There's going to be guys taken way too early, and there's going to be guys taken way too late. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting year. I think you know a lot of teams are going to look back and be like shit for this yeah. one. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, to wrap up this discussion with with the preview for Winnipeg, I think um, I think what Ducharme's thinking today is basically you know the four check times a hundred because you know smaller D, we're not going to be able to. We're not going to be pushed out in front of the net as, as easily. Uh, and then what's going to happen is, especially with those depth lines on Winnipeg, um, you know, they're going to rely on, on Adam Lowry to, to get Anderson out in front of the net or to get Gallagher out in front of the net uh, or get Perry out in front of the net. And that's going to lead them to, you know, kind of hustle back a little bit. And it's going to allow our defense to creep in. And I think we're going to see a lot from Jeff Petrie just because if you open up that center position in the slot, because Adam Lowry's trying to, you know, get Gallagher the, the hell away from Hellebuck, that's going to allow Petrie to do his walk-in wrist shot. Yeah. And uh, that, cool. that wasn't allowed with Toronto. If you look at Toronto, those games, their wingers stay very high because cool. they, they break out. Corey Perry is going to be an absolute menace. Yeah. We need them to stay healthy. Gets. I hope there's no underlying injuries right now. I don't think Because this is going to be a big series of getting in front of the net because – if we can force their wingers and especially their centers to come back and uh, be around Hellebuck, that's going to basically allow our defensemen to make up for their pointless drought in, yeah. in with the Leafs there. Because uh, you allow Jeff Petrie to walk in into that like Nick Suzuki spot, he's going to get a lot of points. Yeah, Weber so, too. Slash yeah, shots are that close. Yeah. So anyway, on that, we will, I mean, we're going to have the pregame tomorrow up yeah. with the draft analysis. Briefly. We're going to do them a little earlier, too. I yeah. realize, like, uh, I had a few people comment to me that, you know, you're giving them 30 hour, minutes. Yeah. yeah, we have a you know 25-minute podcast 30 minutes before the game. <laughs> and also, you know, they're not really going up 30 minutes before the game because iTunes only uploads them around 8. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're coming out a bit late. So we're going to record them, you know, around afternoon so that, you know, you guys have them a few hours before the game. But, yeah, until then. Thank you for listening to the Habs Puck Drop podcast. You can email us your thoughts, questions, and suggestions through our email at habspuckdrop at gmail.com or direct message us on Instagram at habspuckdrop. We'll see you next time.